0: If you have a Bible, can you turn to Matthew? Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we are only going to be looking at uh, the first part of the Lord's Prayer here, verse 9. Before we begin, let's pray and ask for God's mercy. Heavenly Father, We are grateful, we are thankful that you are our God, that we've been called out of darkness into your marvelous light, that we are in Christ, and that in him we can come to you as our Father and make our requests known. We're so grateful and thankful for what you've done for us. We ask, Father, that you truly would glorify your name even in our midst. That amongst your people, especially above all peoples on the earth, your name would be feared, honored, delighted in, respected, glorified. Please, Father, work in us by your Spirit, even now do what we are not deserving of, but we do ask it, Father, because we are in Christ, your beloved Son, and we ask it by the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, when it comes to prayer, one of the questions I think we often ask is, you know, what should we pray for? What kind of things does a person make requests of God for? Because if you're at all like me, sometimes you feel like you're not sure exactly what to pray. So you fall into your old routines. And if if you've been a Christian long enough, everybody here, if you're to go to prayer, you probably have rhythms and patterns, right? You kind of have the way you do it. You know, if you could probably ask your children, if you pray with them at night, oh yeah, first he says this, then he says that, then he says this, and then it's an amen. We have our rituals, and they're easy to slide into. We slip into them because they're helpful, they don't require a ton of thinking, and so away we go. And... And we not we, sometimes we don't necessarily think about whether or not is this what we should be praying. Well, we know generally, yeah, we pray to God and we make requests of God. And this is what prayer is all about. And there's certain things we should pray for. And, and that's what we do. But, you know, um, as we've looked at in the weeks past, as I mentioned, Jesus' ministry was a powerful ministry. And lots was happening. And yet the disciples go to Jesus and they ask him, teach us to pray. Now, obviously, they're asking him to teach them to pray because his prayer was efficacious. Something was happening because it, you got You know, you got these young guys, these fishermen, who actually we know they're pretty concerned with power and prestige. We know they're pretty concerned with position because actually, this is what they end up talking to Jesus about in, later on in Matthew chapter twenty. You know, can we sit at your right hand? Who you know, pulling them aside, trying to you know get in tight? They want power, right? They want this prestige. So why is it that they ask Jesus, teach us to pray? Well, they're, they're Jews. They're, they're a praying bunch. They do it a lot. But there's something about Jesus. There's something about his praying. There's something about prayer and his ministry and the connection to the two. Because even, you know, as we saw in John 11, where Jesus heals Lazarus. Remember when I went over that passage. Martha said, we know that when you ask God of of anything, it happens. So they know that when Jesus prays, stuff happens. Therefore, hey, could you please teach us to pray? So Jesus, he teaches them about prayer. And you know, the amazing thing is here is that he goes on and he says, um, if you look down at verse nine, he says, then pray like this. So he doesn't say, pray this. Does he? He doesn't say in verse 9, this is what you should pray, this is exactly how you should pray, and do not break it verbatim. Chant this, repeat this, and don't ever say anything other than this. Is that what he says? No, actually he says pray like this. So he's, in other words, he's saying this is generally, principally, how you should pray. These should be the guidelines, the directives to your prayer. This is the format, the broad principles, so to speak. And we know he's saying that Also, because if you look at verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. So basically, by them repeating the same thing over and over again, that if they just heap up these words and repeat these phrases and these chants, that they'll be heard, these Gentiles, these pagans who pray to these other gods who are no gods. He says, But when you pray, pray like this. And Jesus reveals something astonishing here, actually. Because when he tells them to pray, he, he tells them to begin by addressing God this way. Our Father. We all take that for granted. True enough. Let's pray. Our Father. That's how we start. So often you'll hear people pray. Our Father. But this is revolutionary speak here. What Jesus is telling them. And the reason this is so shocking for Jews, because there was no way they would say God's name, let alone address him as father. And the reason being is that they were terrified to take his name in vain. So in order for them not to take his name in vain, in order for them not to sin, they thought instead of sin, instead of take his name in vain, hey, we got some clever wisdom here. You know what we'll do? we got a clever idea. We're not going to actually say his name. We'll take the consonants of his name. Yahweh is his name. They wouldn't, they would, you won't find a Jew saying Yahweh. They will not say that. What will they say? They'll actually say Jehovah. But what Yahweh? What they did is okay, we'll take the consonants of Yahweh and take the vowels of Adonai, which is Lord. And what we'll do is we'll put them together. Then we'll have a new word. We'll address God. And you know what this says? It's Jehovah, or what is commonly referred to as we say it as Jehovah. So Jehovah is this clever idea of taking Yahweh and Adonai, those consonants and the vowels, putting them together, and that's what you have. And so, hey, we're not going to break the third commandment because we won't take his name in vain. Clever idea. So now we we can call him a different name, never take his name in vain, and whew, got that commandment taken care of. But they didn't have it taken care of. Because the whole idea, especially when you read in Hebrew, the third command, it says you shall not bear or take upon, not just take into your mouth, but take upon you his name. You see, as we all know, Israel was a chosen people. They were called out of the world, became his special, peculiar people. He put his name on them. He put his name in the midst of them. They worshiped him. He was their God and all the nations of the earth knew that their God's name was Yahweh. Because all the gods in those ages had, had names. Baal, Asterith, but here's Yahweh. God placed his name in the midst of his people. He put his, put, put his name on them. So, what he was saying is that you're not just to take your uh, and use his name lightly. It's not like, oh, you hear somebody use God's name on a TV program or in the grocery store, and they use his name flippantly. That is a sin. That is wrong because they're using his name tritely, abusing it. They're blaspheming it. But more importantly is this idea of bearing his name, which means having, being called by him, being chosen by him, bearing his name, and then living like the devil. <laughs> That's why Jesus says you are sons of your father the devil to the Pharisees because you're just like him. You lie like him. You steal like him. You're a hypocrite like him. You are nothing but false, empty, whitewashed tombs. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. You bear his name. That's what you reflect. So this is kind of some context, some background. you under, got to understand that they were misunderstanding what it meant to take the name of the Lord in vain. So they just thought they could avoid it by not using his name. But they also, it produced a great and a tremendous amount of fear culturally. Unmerited fear to actually say his name. So they wouldn't say his name, let alone call him father. Wow. Don't flots wise, flies. Jesus, in John chapter... Uh, chapter chapter 5 verse 16 he says this um, in regard to the father and listen with the pharisees how they respond to him in john chapter 5 verse 16 and this was why the jews were persecuting jesus because he was doing these things on the sabbath what was he doing he healed a guy he just finishes healing a guy on the sabbath and but this is so they're after him they can't stand what jesus is doing how dare you heal a guy on the sabbath right but jesus answered them My father is working until now, and I am working. That is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. You believe that? They're outraged because Jesus was calling God his Father. Now, Jesus says, when you pray, go to him and say, our Father. Jesus would have went, oh. what? Yes, he's your Father. Because you're in Christ. You're in him. And yet, you know what? We take this for granted. We don't think much of it. We think that's just how you address God, as your father. But this is revolutionary. This is huge. To Think that you people have access to God as a father. Think of this, the familial connection. As we've already looked at in terms of prayer, the father seeks to hear us, seeks to respond to us. You're not just going to this omnipotent God high off in the heavens, who is absolutely removed from us and so far removed from us, so holy, so other, so unapproachable that you might as well forget it. Because you're not just, you know, let's whip up a prayer and hopefully, maybe maybe he'll answer it. No, he says, I want you to understand who you're addressing, first of all. The most important thing in prayer is know who you go to. You're going to your Father. You're going to your Father who loves to hear you. And this isn't just any old father, because some people, you know what, when they hear the word father, they don't have good things conjured up in their minds. Oh, a father, lovely, some guy who, who's distant, aloof, and likes to beat people up. This isn't the father we go to. We go to the father of all glory and goodness, the father who's, who loves to bless, the father from whom every perfect and good gift flows from the father here. Get this guys, the father who would be willing to give his only begotten son to you to save and deliver you who deserve it. It's one thing to save somebody who might be worthy of it. We think that was a pretty nice thing. You did saving that guy because he's so worthy of it. The father gave you his son to save you and you hated him. You didn't thank him. You didn't glorify. You turned from him. You despised him, but he gave us your son. He's loved you. That's the kind of father you go to. You go to a father when you pray to him. Our father, he is one who's laid his life down, given everything he possesses for you. That's important. That's the first thing it's important for us to stand. And when we pray, how how is it we pray? What is it we should pray? We should go to our father and understand who it is we go to. Secondly, we have to understand that he's our father. He's not a father on earth, is he? He says, our father who art in heaven, as we said this, prayed this morning in the Lord's prayer. Where is he? He's in heaven. He's not a father on earth. He's much too powerful and much too great for that. He is the ultimate, the, the sovereign ruler over all things. He's in heaven. And like I said before, you remember I mentioned this, just when we say he's in heaven, it doesn't mean, oh, great, some far off place. Oh, he's just taken off, he's way out there, so far away, so far removed to that other, other universe place where we don't really know where it is. That's not where he's at. When we say our father in heaven, we are distinguishing from earth, he's not on earth, he's much greater than that. He's close He's near, but our father is in the control room, control center. He has all power and all authority. When someone reigns and rules in heaven, it means they reign and rule above everything. All things are under his power. So we're not in we're, saying our father who art in heaven, we're not saying our father who's way far away, distant, doesn't like to hear it. He's an abdicator, kind of silent, never see him, never hear from him. That's not the idea at all. Our father... Who's, who has all authority in our power. Our Father, who's, who's highly exalted above everything. Our Father, who's the most powerful being that ever existed. That's who we pray to. He is the sovereign. As Psalm 97, 2 through 6 puts it, clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him. And burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. This is the father we go to. He's a consuming fire. And you know what is interesting is he actually has to be shielded from us visually until we're resurrected. If mountains melt in the presence, in his, the glory of his presence, we before the resurrection in our flesh, could not stand to be in his presence we'd be consumed we need to go through the resurrection and have our immortal bodies we have to put off the flesh we have to be in that final state to stand in his glory a lot of times people said you know i would i would believe god if i just could see him well that would be the end of it (laughs) hope that believing lasted for a while (laughs) what now no, you don't. Really, you don't. You, you, you do not want to see him in his glory. You don't, you, no man can see him face to face. You, you need to be in Christ, first of all. Secondly, resurrected. That's the only way. The, the cherubim, with two eyes they flew, as it says in Isaiah 6. With two eyes, two, two, two eyes. Did I say two eyes they flew? Yeah. <laughs> with two wings they flew. With two wings they covered their eyes. And with two wings they covered their feet. Because they're in the presence of this most holy God. Our Father, he's our Father who art in heaven. This is who we're addressing. And he says it's important that we understand this. Jesus is telling his fa- disciples that their Father, the one that they're to approach, you have to understand this, is the King of heaven and earth. Imagine for a moment you're little Johnny. And you've been invited to an event with these boys that you've never met before, and the boys are standing around bragging about their dad, how who he is and what he does and how much money he makes, and and you're sitting by off on the edge, and some finally some smart aleck boy says to you, "Hey, who's your dad?" And you hesitate for a second, and you say, "Warren Buffett." At that moment, if the, let's let's. Let's just think for a moment. These boys understand who he is. You know, all of a sudden, all the other dads fail in comparison. I mean, if you want to, you want to compare what? Businesses, checkbooks, property, what? You know, it's, it's kind of like that. What Jesus is telling them, you got to understand who your father is. You got to understand who you're approaching. When, you, when, you're, when you're talking fathers, when you're talking who is it you're connected to, who is it you belong to, your father is in heaven. Your father is the king of heaven and earth, and this is who you're approaching. It's very important that we understand that. We have a father so much greater than Warren Buffett. He made Warren Buffett. He gave Warren Buffett all he has. As we've looked at in the past, he's pretty awesome. And the amazing thing is this father who's in heaven, he delights in our coming to him. He wants us to come to him and he wants us to ask, w- wants us to make requests because he wants to answer us. But you know what? Here's what's interesting. Now we get into the section after we addre- who are, who is it we're addressing? our Father who's in heaven, now he says this should be your first petition, basically. It should, it should follow this format. First thing you should be concerned about, because of who it is, is that, he, as he says, hallowed be your name. We pray this. This is the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. We're saying, Father, I want your name to be considered holy. I want your name to be respected I want your name to be revered. I want your name to be held in high esteem and honored in all the earth. I desire your glory. So as we pray, our number one passion and concern is to be for God's name and glory. Now, isn't that interesting? Because to me, this was a a rebuke to me. Because if you're all like me, which I think we're all alike in so many ways, we're people. And the first thing that's on my mind are my interests, my concerns. So, Father, please immediately, and it usually has something to do with me. But if it's not me, it's I've got a prayer request. And it's a request or a petition for someone else. But he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be considered holy. This should be our number one priority. And why is that? You got to ask the question, why should this be our number one priority? Well, it should be our number one priority, our number one passion, because the Father has given everything. He's the one who's given us our life, our breath, our food, our clothing, shelter, friends, family, you name it, he's given it. And we're, we want that name honored, the one who's so good, the one who's so kind, the one who's such a blessing to the world, to everyone. Our passion is for his name to be hallowed, to be respected, to be honored. We look around today, even today, this afternoon, we leave from here, we're going to see people playing, running, grilling, laughing, and ultimately getting some pleasure out of something. There's going to be pleasure that's going to be had today by people. Us and so most people on the planet, they enjoy things. They've been given things. And yet so often, so often they neither glorify him nor thank him. And you know what? This should bother us. If we look around and see the people of our city, you know, our our passion, our desire should be that God's name would be honored, that his name would be glorified. You know, basically what Jesus is telling or asking us to pray for here, it's an evangelistic type prayer that sinners would repent, that people would be converted, that those who curse God's mouth would be changed, that their hearts would be changed, that they would praise God. They would give him thanks. We want his name honored. We want his name revered. We want his name respected because he's so good and because of what he's done. That needs to be our passion. Jesus wants the conversion of unbelievers to be our priority in prayer. Pray for this. Pray that your father's name be Honored, And that's only going to happen as God pours out his spirit, changes the hearts of men, and they turn toward him. And instead of cursing him, they now praise him. He says that should be a priority in your praying. And you know what? What's so interesting is often when you hear about evangelism, you hear about praying that God would convert people, that he would change people's hearts. So often, you know, the primary motivation is? Is that these, these people... They would not somehow, you know, burn in hell in judgment. And I've actually, I heard, um, and don't, don't get me wrong. I, I don't think that's, that uh, the opposite is true where you say, well, I actually, I want that. No, I'm not saying that. It's, but so often the primary motivation is about the judgment that's going to become upon people, not about God's name and glory. I mean, I've even heard people give the analogy, perhaps you have as well, What are you going to say on the last day when that person you knew stares you in the face while they're on the precipice of going into an eternal hell and they look you in the eyes and say, why didn't you tell me? I've heard that said and used a lot as somehow that's to be the primary motivation. Well, that whole scenario is completely unbiblical. Jesus never once uses any idea or, or uses that kind of analogy to motivate us to somehow say, whoa, I better go tell people now. I'm terrified. I'd hate to get there on the last day. That guy look at me and I, he'd ask me that question. I'd crawl under a rock somewhere. I better get out there. It's wrong-headed. Of course we don't want the wicked to perish. Of course we don't. But why don't we? It ought to be, I don't want them to perish. I, I want those people repenting. I want them to fall on their knees, and I want them to turn to God, and I want them to, to believe in God. I want them to praise God. I want, to, I want them to glorify his name for all that he's done. For those who hated him, look at the gifts he gives them. There's nothing like seeing somebody turn from their sins, turn to God, say, oh, God, forgive me. Please have mercy on me. To me, a sinner. God forgives, cleanses, and you watch those people praising God, delighting in God. That's glorious. Seeing God's name exalted and elevated, it's, it's a great joy. It's a wonderful joy and pleasure. And you know what? This is to be our starting place. I find it fascinating, actually, <laughs> that this is, Jesus says, when you start off, how, our Father Heart art in heaven, the first petition, the first thing that we request is that God's name be considered holy. And you know what? I think we all, we all can understand how quickly and how easily we fail to do this. And why? Because your life is being pressed on every side, at every angle. Are you a busy person? Do you have lots going on in your life? Do you have hassles? Do you have heartache? Do you have pressure? Of course you do. And so when you go to prayer, usually what is the number one thing that you go to pray and pray for? It's those issues that are pressing in on you. And don't get me wrong. Those aren't wrong things to pray about. As we'll see, they're important to pray about. And there's a way that we should pray about them as well. However, let me ask you a question. Is it a priority in your praying? Is it a focus in your praying? Is it up front in your praying that you desire and ask that God's name would be hallowed? That his name would be honored? That his name would be glorified? That his name would be respected? I would venture to guess that most people would say no, it's not. But this is, what Je- this is how Jesus tells us to pray. And you know what's interesting about this? As I've begun to try to implement this in my praying, it changes you as you pray about it. It changes the rest of your prayer requests. Because so often we run into God's presence with needs of our own without getting oriented. And I think this is really what happens. And When we start praying this way, we get reoriented. We all of a sudden begin to put God at first his name, his glory first. And everything else becomes second. And now even how you begin to pray about those other things changes. You want to feel your, almost your world shrink, your problems shrink, begin like this. And it's amazing how you regain perspective oh yeah it really is about god oh yeah he really is in heaven oh yeah he really does uh, govern all the affairs of men oh yeah he's in charge of what's going on now oh yeah he actually brought this into my life oh, oh yeah my number one passion is for his name to be honored and hallowed oh, oh yeah i just had a priority shift and now you head into those other areas and it's different you know it's different you're different Your heart's in a different place. Your mind's in a different place. And it affects the rest of your praying. You know what else? I don't think there's going to be transformation of the city. I don't think there's going to be revival. I don't think there's going to be grand change out there. We can lament the state of the church. We can lament the state of of our city, we can lament the state of our government and the laws that are in place, we can cry, we can wail, we can, we can pound our fist and say, I can't believe it. Why not? Really? We can jump up and down and say, we have got to get going, folks. We've got to get active. Do you understand? We, we've got to get out there and we've got, to, we've got to start doing all kinds of things because if we don't start doing these things, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. No, sorry, that's not what we need to do. We need to come back to this place and realize that there's probably a reason why the church is not repenting, why the cities aren't being transformed, and it's because this request is not being asked. This is not at the forefront of our petitions. If God's people would begin to hallow his name, respect and honor it, And have a passion for it and begin to pray, oh God, may your name be hallowed. Please honor your name. Do this for your son's sake. Please, God, if God hears our requests and he loves to hear hear our requests, and not only that, he loves to glorify his son. God will glorify his son. The father will glorify his son by pouring out the spirit and working. If this becomes our priority, I'm excited for the future of the church and for the city. If the church becomes a people who have have this as their number one priority, that that God, our Father, we dress our Father who's in heaven, who has the power to change all things, that we say, Father, please honor your name, have your name hallowed, have your name glorified. Please, please pour out your spirit. Now what, you're praying the way that Jesus told his disciples to pray. And Jesus isn't saying, you know, do this in vain. So it's a lot of fun, monotonous uh, stuff that, you know, you can just do over and over and feel like you're going nowhere. He's showing them and helping them to understand this is the way I pray. This is my prayer life. These are my priorities. This is how I do it. Jesus, if you look at his life, he says, it's my Food to do the will of my Father in heaven. He's come to glorify the Father. The Father to glorify the Son. The Spirit has come to glorify the Father and the Son. God in His person is interested in glorifying each member. That's the number one passion of God Himself. So we're praying the number one passion of God Himself. Saying, Father, may Your name be considered holy. Glorify Your Son. Please send forth Your Spirit. And this is exactly what will happen. Transformation begins to take place, both in your life and the world around you. The first three commandments in the Decalogue are fulfilled. When this is believed, obeyed, and honored, when God so works in our hearts and in our minds that we have as a number one passion, the the hallowing of his name transformation takes place so the question is how do we pray what should we pray pray to your father your father remember don't ever forget that you pray to your father your father because you're in christ who is in heaven who has the power to change things on earth with his very word and your number one passion as you go to this father who's in heaven is that his name be glorified in all the earth that his name be honored and hallowed That is what we should pray. That is who we pray to. Amen. Father, you are our Father. And we call you Father because we are in Jesus, your beloved Son. And in Him, we can boldly come to you and know that you look upon us with delight, with favor, with an eagerness to answer us. And Father, we do ask, even now, right now, that you would please, please pour out your spirit so that the nations would glorify your name, that your name would be truly hallowed, that your name would be honored, that you, O God, would be glorified. The most troubling thing in the world as we look around is so many people enjoying all your gifts but neither thanking you nor glorifying you. Abusing your name. Dishonoring you. Showing reproach to your son. Oh, Father, glorify your son. Magnify Jesus and all that he's done. We know you hear us even now, Father. And we know you're eager to answer this request. We know this is your priority. Please withhold no longer please O oh god make this our priority that we would beseech you and plead with you that you will glorify your name in the nations and all people everywhere would sing your praises oh god do this for we ask it in your son by the spirit amen